Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. What's well, going on, everybody? Glad. I'm Marah. I'm and I'm Jazz. And welcome back to Sisters Who Kill. Welcome to the episode where two women without children talk about your baby daddy drama. If you're listening to this, you probably already know what I'm about to say, that today is the day for you to start your podcast. You have everything that you need, your computer, a little microphone, and Spotify for podcasters. It is the all-in-one platform where you can host, edit, and record your podcast and distribute it everywhere. Where you're listening right now, you can have your podcast there. I promise, for real. And it's free. And you can make some money off of your podcast for free. Free money. Free money is out there. Just go get it by starting your podcast today. The players this week are Lonnie Payne Jr., the victim, and Deidre Griffin, Lonnie's ex-girlfriend and baby mama, and our murderess. Deidre Vila Griffin was born on April 18, 1975 in Bay City, Michigan. She was the only child of Deidre's parents, and it was said that they had a very big influence on her adolescence. I mean, her parents encouraged her to really focus on academics. She was kind of a recluse. She didn't talk to that many people. She wasn't really considered popular. Her ex-sister-in-law said that she was really quiet, didn't have a lot of friends, and really just stayed to herself. People said that she was spoiled and she got what she wanted. She had that only child syndrome. You know, I really often, often when I hear that, I take that with a grain of salt, especially when it comes to cases about women of color. They got everything that they ever wanted. Because Black folks don't let you see when we're struggling. Duh. Yeah. Um, after Deidre graduated high school, she joined the Army Reserve. And while she was in the Army Reserves, she had plans to go to Penn State because she wanted to study biochemistry and molecular biology. And after a few years in the Reserve, she was able to get her money from the military, and she did just that. In 2007, Deidre's hard work had finally paid off because she got a job at the University of Maryland as part of the healthcare administration team. So making big moves. Now, Deidre, she was getting a little bit older. Her, she was very career-oriented. And, and since she wasn't a social person, she didn't have a lot of friends, a big social group. It was kind of hard for her to meet guys. And that's something that she was getting to the age that she wanted to do. Like, 
you know, I'm hitting that age, you know, that they say the egg count is going down. I want to have a baby. I want to make sure that I want to have the family. And so she decided that since she was shy and going out wasn't her thing, that she would do online dating. And while she was doing online dating, swiping on the apps, she met Lonnie Pay Jr. Lonnie Bernard Pay Jr. was born in Baltimore, Maryland in 1963. He had two brothers, Leon and Charles, who grew up on their grandparents' farm. My <laughs> Weezer has a brother named Leon, and every time he call, he'd be like, this your Uncle Leon, your grandmother's the only brother. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this your Uncle Leon, your grandmother's yes. only brother. <laughs> okay, thank you, sir. <laughs> every time. <laughs> he called my mama, your Uncle Leon, your mama's only brother. The three of them there had a very active life on the farm, and Charles, Lonnie's brother, said it was fun, but it was hard work. Charles also described life on the farm as something that taught them how to survive and take care of themselves. And it showed in the way that Lonnie lived his life. He got older and he started his own construction company, which turned out to be very profitable. He had a very nice house in a very nice suburb area of Randallstown, had a couple cars in the driveway. <laughs> Matter of fact, in the garage, okay? Not the driveway. Mm-hmm. That's right. Two-car, three-car garage, okay? Okay. Charles described Lonnie as an extremely hard worker who loved what he did. Lonnie had been married twice, and Lonnie had been divorced twice. And after his second divorce, he told his brother, listen, I'm just not the marrying type. I'm not getting married no more. But that didn't mean Lonnie was done with the women's, okay? He still dated. He still had his fun because everybody liked a little company every now and then, right? And he was quite an active dater for somebody who was 51 years old. That's not old, you know, like, really? So a lot of people hit their strides in their 50s. Like, I watch, you know, I'm obsessed with 90 Day Fiance, mm -hmm. and uh, there's a spinoff show called Darcy and Stacey, and Darcy is 49, and she's very much on the prowl. And I almost feel like it's different for women. You know, women are outnumbered. And I almost feel like women are struggling to look, but I feel like most men who are going to get married are usually married by that point. Yeah, if they're the marrying type, for sure. He tried. I mean, I guess he tried, but he, he at this point, he's 50 some or he's 50, divorced twice, no kids. I would probably be like, you know what? Love just ain't for me. You know what I mean? We just gonna keep it pushing. We gonna have fun while we have fun and be over when it's over. Now, Deidre, she had a pretty serious job. And with that, that meant that she really didn't have a lot of free time. And she didn't socialize with a lot of people on top of the fact that she just didn't socialize with a lot of people. Her schedule was basically go to work, come home, go to sleep, get up and do it all over again. So it's around 2012. And that's when she swipes and meets Lonnie. She meets Lonnie and things seem to be going well. They met each other for lunch they sat and they got to know each other. And Deidre told her sister-in-law that she liked everything about him. Like, he seems like the good package. Good business, nice house, nice cars. Sweet to her. I mean, of course, it did not take her long to fall head over heels for him. And things ended up moving pretty fast. So when she moved into his house, no one really batted an eye at it. Charles, who is Lonnie's brother, said... He saw them and he was like, you know, this really good look for my brother. They make a cute couple. I'm not seeing any red flags. They were going out on dates. They were spending time with each other. They were like, you know, my boy Lonnie, the dating pool had him down, but they don't have him out. You know what I'm saying? 
Some years go by, it's May of 2014, and Deidre finds out that she has endometriosis. And they're like, look, as long as you have this, you're not going to be able to bear children. And this is heartbreaking for her. She's she's in her 30s. This is something that she wants. Like, Tazzy, you and I don't have children, but we have also been like, once we hit our 30s, like, it's... It's, time to get it's something that we're going to really start, yeah, start thinking about because it's something that you want. And I know personally, like so many, like it's something that I want in my life. And you see so many women that long for motherhood. And when they find out that there's complications, it's heartbreaking. But she goes through the operations. They're like, if we just do a couple of operations and so we can get rid of end- this endometriosis and hopefully there's a chance that you'll be able to have children. She has the operations and literally three months later, she finds out that she's pregnant and she is, I mean, thrilled, ecstatic. She is over the moon. She is happy. And she's like, listen, this is, the- here it is. The things, the devil can't keep me down. You know, I'm really moving forward in the way that I want with the family that I want. And she tells Lonnie, like, Lonnie, baby, look, we're pregnant. Like, we're really about to have a baby. And Lonnie was like, we're doing what? <laughs> uh, I'm 51 years old. Like, <laughs> I'm in my 50s. I don't, and I don't have any kids. You want me to start with a baby? Like, this is a really big adjustment when I've been living 50 years child-free, you know? And when he tells this to Deidre, it's like, I don't know if I'm ready for to be a father or if I want to give up my freedom to be a father. This hurts her. Like, she's, I don't think that she really reacted in hurt. She reacted in anger. She was upset. Like, what, what are you doing? You're denying me and this child when you know more than anybody what I have gone through so that I can have a child and become a mother. She was so upset She packed up all her things at the house. She hit the road to Michigan. She got back to her family and she looked at her sister-in-law. She was like, he wants nothing to do with me or the baby. Now, Lonnie, of course, was back at his house in Baltimore. And Deidre and Lonnie, they were broken up for a few months. And Lonnie was, you know, telling his family about everything that was going down, talking to some sound counsel around him about how he ain't really want to be in this long-term relationship with Deidre. And then now she got a kid. And, you know, if he how he's supposed to do right in a kid life and then not be with her. Like, what he's supposed to do with his family was like, yo, you know you can be a father and not be a husband. Like, you don't have to be with her to be a father to your child. You know, sometimes niggas are dumb and they make stupid decisions. And that's why I be telling, like, men that don't have friends or people around them that just have sound minds and clean hearts, like, detriment. Because... You know which friends to call when you want a you want a toxic answer. You know which friends to call when you want a good <laughs> answer and sound advice. And everybody needs that. So yeah, people, you're around these people that have sound counsel around you. And so people were telling him, you can still do the right thing without having to wife her. And so Lonnie got in one of his vehicles. He went to Michigan. He found Deidre and he was like, look, Deidre, I know that you're pregnant. You're about to give birth. I'm going to let you know right now, like this long-term relationship with you, I don't want to do that. But being a father to that child, I'm willing to step up. I'm willing to be a man. I'm willing to do all of that. So let's go ahead and I want to be by your side while you give birth. In August of 2014, Deidre gave birth to her and Lonnie's first son, little baby Preston. And Ronnie was right there by her side every step of the way in the hospital room. <laughs> um, I was about to say, not every step of the way the pregnancy, <laughs> in, just in, in the, the hospital, hospital room. room. Like, don't get it twisted. <laughs> 
Charles said Lonnie loved his son, and he said, I swear, Lil Preston is the spinning image of his daddy when he was a baby. He was like, at that moment when Lonnie first held him and looked at his seed and was like, wow, you are me, he fell in love. It was over with. He was so happy to be a dad. So Deidre's ecstatic, like, okay, I knew he had wanted this baby. Sometimes you got you to gotta show these niggas what they want. They don't know what they want until it's there, you know what I mean? So she's happy. She's like, we still have a chance so we can have the family that I've always wanted. We have our baby. Here's the man, like, I'm ready to move forward in this. Now, Lonnie was trying his best to be the best co-parent that he could be. And Deidre was trying her best to make this family be a family. But... It just wasn't what Lonnie wanted, you know? She made at least two trips that we know of with Preston from Michigan to Baltimore so that Lonnie could spend some time with his son. And she was like, you know, if we keep this up, he might move me and our baby back in the house with him. And, you know, we can just raise our family here together. But it became clear to both of them that there wasn't really no romance between them anymore. It just, things had transpired and it just wasn't the same anymore, you know? You know, you try and get that old thing back, but it just, it ain't hitting like it used to. That's what they were at. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the spark ain't, the spark ain't there no more, boo. And I'm really, I'm trying to light that match and it's not catching. It becomes clear to Deidre that Lonnie doesn't really want anything to do with her. He's just there for his son. And so her feelings are hurt. She leaves Lonnie, goes back to Michigan, and she's like, I'm just going to put my time and effort into my son. Now, Deidre has this ex-sister-in-law, and this ex-sister-in-law was like, you know, Lonnie told me that he only wanted a relationship with Preston and not Deidre. And Deidre said, quote, I don't know what he was thinking, but this is a package deal. And that's where a lot of y'all got the Wait, game what? up. I'm sorry. Back up. I was, I was, I, I zoned out for a second. Buki. No, baby. Y'all are not a package deal. Other than what he owes through the court. No, that's not how it works. Having a man's baby does not make him your man. And a lot of y'all got to find no. that out the hard way. That makes him, that makes that baby his kid and his responsibility and that's, that's all that the makes. deal he got out of it that's all that it exactly makes. but so, oh I didn't know he, it's, we a package deal no girl mm-hmm. no girl you're not a package deal he don't want you he want the baby you so, can't have it all you can't have your cake and eat it too I'm sorry I'm still go ahead <laughs> so a month passes and Lonnie has not seen his baby at all and Charles is like, okay, he's damn near begging to see his son, and she never brings him. Like, it's hard enough they're living in separate states. They're not even neighboring states. Like, he's just trying to make some time for his kid. And Lonnie's like, you know what? I'm just going to have to get a lawyer because I got to see my kid. He was like, I'm not even trying to have full custody. I just want to be able to see my son. And so he was like, we're going to go to court, and we're going to put it on paper see my baby so that there's no arguing against it, which— I'm going to take this moment to applaud Lonnie because, again, a lot of niggas get hemmed up at this point. Uh, First is, the first roadblock is, I don't want to be with my baby mama, so I disappear on all of them completely. They're not a package deal. You can be a dad without being a boyfriend, okay? Two, even if she threatens to take it to court, you still have rights. Take it the fuck to court. Do what the fuck you're supposed right. to. And don't do, like, you might have some bad looks on you and it don't have to be no big old thing. Do the little mediation. Try and keep it, you know, copacetic or whatever. But 
Take it to court. Take your rights to see your kid. Fight for your fucking kid, man. Like, you'll want somebody to fight for you. Now, DJ thought for sure, ain't no way a judge is getting Lonnie custody. But, fellas, it's a different time. And daddy's got rights these days. That's right. So... Her ex-sister-in-law commented, Deidre must think it's the 1970s where men can't do whatever. It's not true. Lonnie can get his rights, and he did get his rights. That's right. He got his rights on June 9th. The judge was like, listen, Lonnie, clearly you make enough money. It's not like he a broke boy, you know? Never you know that. Never that. The judge agreed with Lonnie that he was fit and should have the ability to take care of his child and be a part of his child's life. The judge ruled that Lonnie was to spend five days out of the month with his child without Deidre and that it was court appointed. She would have to drop the child off with his father and she was just going to have to be okay with that. Witnesses that were there said that Deidre was very unhappy with the judge's ruling. And Deidre just could not accept the fact Lonnie somehow convinced this judge that he deserved time with his child. And Deidre was pissed. She was like, you know what he did? I know exactly what his ass did. He paid off the judge. He paid off the judge. And everybody's like, prove it. I, he did. He, I know he did. So she's going around telling everybody that Lonnie paid off the judge and insisted that Lonnie does not know how to take care of a baby, that he don't know how to feed a baby. He's never had a baby around the house. And there's no way that for five days, that baby will survive being in Lonnie's care. I've seen this even with couples that are still together. Like you you want, especially like when you have a baby, your, your maternal instincts kick in and nobody can do it like you can, you know? I know some people that said that for the first little while, they were like, it was me and my baby and I wouldn't let, no, not even her, her daddy wouldn't let nobody touch the baby because I needed to be the one to make sure that, that I have to protect this new being in the world. Mm -hmm. But also like Lonnie was trying to be like, I can also take care of this new being. Like, fatherly instincts have kicked in. I'm trying to do the right thing. And men are not perfect. And this is not a show talking about how men are good, but <laughs> at all. Um, but I think when you have a father that's trying to try, you have to at least let them try. And you know what? If you didn't take him to court and been such an asshole to him, you could have also, like, y'all could have had a real conversation about what parenting looks like. Right. And been on the same page. And then you would have been comfortable leaving the baby over there because I, even if he was like, well, come over and baby-proof the house and so that we can, you can feel comfortable while the child's here. Or you even know? if she didn't There's have to a way do to it, like, it. give me a list of things that are in place. You know, what What do I need to have? And she could have actually made that a part of, probably, if they did negotiations and mediations, could have made that part of, okay, you need to have this, this, this in place before I feel comfortable. And if it's all in the well-being of the child and child safety things, you know, I don't see why it would be a problem. Exactly. So anyways, it was time for the first drop-off, the first exchange. Deidre and Lonnie said that they were going to do the drop-off at the police station. It was just safer. Everybody was going to be fine. And they were supposed to be dropped off by Deidre, picked up by Lonnie on June 24th. Deidre waits. Deidre waits. Deidre waits. Lonnie never shows. Why did Lonnie never show? You know, that's a really great question. Let's back up a couple of days. 
On June 19th, remember the, the exchange was on June 24th. On June 19th at Lonnie's house. Now, Lonnie, he had himself a new boo. Not gonna lie, he had himself a new boo. His new boo, her name was Wanda Gresham. Wanda Gresham was spending the night at her man's house. That morning, she leaves. She kisses him goodbye. She knows that, you know, she don't live there. She also knows that he has a lot of things going on. She leaves his house around 6.45 in the morning. About 20 minutes later, Lonnie leaves his house because he has a day ahead of him. He's got to get, go and make this money. Now, the thing about Deidre, she decided that she had to take matters into her own hands. So what she does is she kind of dresses up in this really baggy clothes. She's got like on one of those tan fisher fisherman shirts and those big old fisherman hats. You know, the, the fishing hats with the wide brim mm-hmm. to make sure that the sun don't get on you. So she's wearing one of those. Deidre has a key to Lonnie's house. Deidre also knows Lonnie's schedule. Deidre knows exactly when Lonnie is leaving and when he is going to make it back home. So around 1.45 p.m., Deidre takes her key, dressed dressed in head to toe in this fishing garb. You can't really see her face because she also knows that he has a home security system. And honestly, from first glance, when you look at the home security system, you think that a man was entering the house other than a short man, but a man. She goes into the house. You don't see anything on the cameras for a little while. No one knows what she was doing in that house between 1.45 p.m. and 4.45 p.m. when Lonnie returns. But Lonnie returns home from work. Deidre is still inside of his home. Lonnie goes to grab the mail. He walks into his garage. Um, He was shot by Deidre four times. One of the shots were to his head and he fell out on his garage floor. About five minutes later, after Lonnie actually enters the garage, when you see him entering the garage, then you see Deidre, still dressed up, still disguised, leaving the house. Now... It's interesting because Deidre is carrying three bags and also has a glove on her left hand. After she leaves, Lonnie's body just lays there waiting to be found. Streaming October 6th on Paramount+. Plus. First place I learned about death was a pet cemetery. Dead things buried in that land would come back. There's something else. Something's wrong with Timmy. He needs time to adjust. That's not Timmy. Something is talking through him. Sometimes dead is better. Pet Cemetery, Bloodlines, Rated R, streaming only on Paramount Plus. Instacart helps you get beer and wine delivered in as fast as an hour. So, whether you need to fill the cooler for tailgate season or fill your glass for Pinot by the fire season. You can save time by getting fall sips delivered in just a few clicks. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Must be 21 or over for alcohol delivery where available. Instacart. Add life to cart. It took 10 days for Lonnie's body to be found by the police. And the only reason they got caught out there is because Lonnie's new girlfriend, Wendy, was like, okay, can somebody check up on my man? Because I ain't heard from him. Now, the relationship was a bit new, but they had been traveling a bit together. They put a little time in, a couple of months in, you know, and they decided, you know, they were serious. So why this man not answering my calls? Right. And at first, like, you know that he's with his kids for a little bit of time. 
So she tries to back off and not be crazy, but like, this man ain't hit me up once. Right. I ain't heard from this man in That would have activated my crazy. <laughs> she literally calls the police from outside of his house and was like, hold on, wait a minute. Lonnie grass too high. Lonnie don't even play that about his yard. He very serious about that. Like, somebody needs to come up here and check on him. Because at first I was bad, but now I'm a little worried. Police get there, and they're like, okay, Lonnie's mailbox ain't been checked in a minute. This is concerning. They look around. They're like, hmm, you know, we're not sure if there's a crime being committed, and we don't really see how to get into this house. We might need to call the fire department and have them help us get in. You know, they continue to investigate the premises, and they see that one of his cars is parked from outside of the garage, and they reach in the car and they see that there's a garage opener. So they press the button on the garage opener and one of the garage doors opens up. So they go into the garage and in between the two cars in the garage is Ronnie's body laying face down. Now they look at Ronnie's body. They see him laying face down and are like, oh no, did this man need help and he couldn't get it? But that theory quickly got demolished because there's bullet casings around his body. And he had been there so long, there are maggots on his body. And that's the point where I call it a wrap. Dead body, okay. Maggots, we're done. Can't take it. I'm out of here. Can't do it. Y'all got this. Let me know how it goes. He had been sitting there for so long. They determined that he was killed around 5 p.m. on June 19th. They found him July 1st. Like, he has just been in his garage rotting. So then they're like, okay, okay, let's try and figure out what happened here. So we do know that he was killed. Why? Could it have been a robbery? But of course, nothing was out of place. It never is. Everything is set. So they're like, no, no, this feels personal. This just looks like somebody came in here to kill Lonnie, and that's what they did. As they're casing around the house, they realize that Lonnie has security cameras all over, right? They go downstairs. My boy Lonnie is recording the security footage onto the DVR. They ain't even got to hack into his ring or nothing. It's right there. They was like, you know what? Go ahead and take this to evidence. We're going to have the computer specialists look back on this and see what they can find. The police are like, okay, where should we start? They always start with the girlfriend. So they like, Wanda, come talk to us. So Wanda's like, listen, me and Lonnie, we've been dating two, three months. We're happy. It's no problem. We're happy. We see each other on a regular. And all I know is he was supposed to go to Michigan on June 24th to meet his ex-girlfriend, Deidre, because they got a baby together and he's supposed to pick up his baby. He was supposed to have the baby for five days, like the court ordered, and give Deidre back their son on June 30th. Now, she's like, now the last time I saw Lonnie was on June 18th, which they have now determined, like, is the night before he was murdered, right? And she's like... I spent the night at his house, but that's almost two weeks ago. And she was like, we were actually supposed to prepare for his son coming. We had plans to go buy a crib and baby essentials and stuff. And he kind of just never hit me back. I, I thought I did something wrong at first. I'm trying to, I thought he needed space or something. But, you know, then shit started getting a little weird. It was taking too much time. So there was either a problem or there was going to be a problem. The police wanted to believe everything that Wanda said, but I don't know if can you take her at face value. Technically, she is the last person that saw him alive. And this is before they saw the cameras in his house. They hadn't seen him yet. So did you do it? Did you not do it? Who knows? Eventually, they ruled Wanda out as a suspect. They were like, listen, she was very upfront when she was in her interview. And she called the office 
all the time about updates, like on our ass, trying to make sure that we were doing our jobs. The police notified Lonnie's family about his death and this really tragic news. And everybody was really, really upset about it, especially because Lonnie's mom actually had just recently passed away. Now, the police asked Lonnie's dad and his brother Charles if they knew anybody that would want to hurt Lonnie, like anybody in their family, anybody professionally. Does he have any enemies? Charles told the police that Lonnie was the type of person that, you know, he would hire local guys to work with them. Maybe he'd go down to the Home Depot in the morning, see who needed a little extra money, give them a little bit of work. And his brother was like, you know, he made really good money, but he didn't really pay really good money. And sometimes, you know, the workers would get angry because they felt like they were working really hard for not enough money. And they were like, okay, well, maybe that's what happened to Lonnie. Maybe there, it was a disgruntled employee that decided they wanted to take out their employer. So they started doing all the connections, all the jobs that he had had, the people that had worked for him, the the contracts that he had taken. People, they were doing all of the backtracking. And when they did, they still didn't find anybody to connect with his death. And then his family was like, you, you know who you really need to look into? You need to look into his ex-girlfriend, Deidre, because they broke up. They're in this nasty, they just finished this nasty, nasty custody battle. And they just had this custody battle right before he's now missing. So with this information, the police are curious and they were like, okay, well, let's find out who this ex-girlfriend is. They know that Deidre is now in Michigan and the police make their way from Baltimore to Michigan on July 4th. They said they pulled up at her family cookout. I just don't know what I would do if the detectives you know, pulled up at my cookout. Like, damn, can a nigga have to a To question holiday? me about my baby daddy. You know? Like, don't y'all have families? Y'all could have done this tomorrow. And they pull up at the cookout and they let her know about Lonnie's. She's like, yes, you know, like, um, some family members called and told me. I basically just found out myself. And they're like, yeah, ma'am, you know that we are ruling it a homicide. And she's like, that's just really horrible to hear. And the police are like, you know come on down to the local station because obviously they're in Michigan, not in Baltimore. They're like, come on down to the local station um, just so that we can have a quick formal review. No worries. Like, we'll bring you back to the cookout. We just want to ask you a few questions. And she's like a little hesitant because A, it's the 4th of July and you're trying to take me down to the station and she's not sure what to do, but she eventually says, okay. And she goes down and talks to them. In her interview, the police all ask all the typical questions. How's your relationship going? Where did y'all meet? What are you doing in Michigan? And Deidre is pretty upfront with them. She's like, you know, we met doing, we met online. Things were seeming to go great, but we had this child. We just finished a really nasty custody battle. And it was really hard for the both of us. And Deidre tells the detectives that the custody battle had gotten so nasty that the two of them literally could not communicate unless it was through their lawyers. Like, that was it. There was no picking up the phone and calling. We're past the point of mediation. Don't talk to me. Only your lawyer. Talk to my lawyer to tell me what needs to happen. Then Deidre's like, you know, I was in Baltimore recently. And they're like, you were? She's like, yeah, I was there because I had a job interview at Johns Hopkins Medical Center. I went to Baltimore maybe around the 16th. I rented a car at the airport, had the interview. I was pretty much back in Michigan on the 17th. And from the 17th till right now, the July 4th, I was here in Michigan. And they're like, okay, well, thank you for letting us know. Uh, thank you for being very forthcoming. Um, and we'll go ahead and let you go. Which already, girl, didn't you show up to the drop-off and he wasn't, and he quote-unquote wasn't there or didn't show? 
So you weren't all the way in Michigan because you had to drop off your kids. But anyways, never mind. The detectives felt really good. They felt like she was forthcoming. They felt like she was a good interviewer. They sent her back to the cookout so that she could have some burgers and some hot dogs and see all the pretty fireworks. They get back to Baltimore. They're like, okay, she said that she was only in Baltimore for this short amount of time. And we need to make sure that she's telling the truth. We need to track her down from beginning to end. We need to find out what hotel she stayed at. Where did she rent her car? What kind of car it was? Did she actually have a job interview? Who did she interview with? We need to make sure that we have this alibi airtight. So the police are off doing that. And in the meantime, Charles comes to the police station and he's like, I remember Charles is Lonnie's brother. And Charles was like, you know, um, there was this one time, like, I need to tell y'all that Lonnie was on the phone with Deidre's brother and they got into a really heated argument. And somehow in that argument, Deidre's brother threatened Lonnie and Lonnie was like, this nigga just threatened me. And homie don't play that. And Charles, right. And Charles told Lonnie that, listen, Whatever this family got going on, they're clearly not all the way there. Elevator is not going to the top. The clock is not fully striking 12. You need to make sure that you are watching your back and you are making sure that you are being diligent, especially when you're dealing with these folks. And the police are like, well, when did this argument happen? And he was like, shit, about a month, maybe a month before y'all told me that my brother is dead. So the police have this new information and they're like, okay, let's go talk to Deidre's brother. Deidre's brother's name is Donnie. So Donnie and Lonnie were arguing, okay? And Donnie says like, I mean, yeah, we got into an argument. We was heated. I'm trying to take up from my sister. But I was at work on the 19th. I don't have any ties. I did not do anything. Here are the records of me being at work. They checked his alibi. He was now officially out of the suspect pool. Good suspect though. That was a pretty good lead. At this point... They're still trying to verify Deidre's alibi. So on the surface, her alibi seemed pretty legit. I mean, like, they checked the Southwest flight. She had a confirmed flight. They confirmed that she actually got on the flight. She traveled from Michigan to Maryland. I think she went to BWI airport. The dates that she mentioned, they all checked out. But the detectives are just like, something with the story is off. So they go to check the car rental that she had. And when they check out the company, they find that Deidre went to the Payless rental cars at BWI. And when she was there, she rented a red Jeep Cherokee. And they were like, okay, this is really good information. However, before they could leave the rental car company, an employee said that Deidre said that when she returned the car, she reported to the employee, not to the police, she reported to the rental people that the tags of the car were stolen while she was on that trip. And the police were like, that's pretty odd. So she didn't report it to the police. She just told you guys. They were like, yeah, she returned the car and said the tags were stolen. Now, police have this thing, you know, how they are able to do license plates. They can take a picture of your license plate. They can run your plates. And it kind of stores it when they've ran or checked your plates for whatever. And that's exactly what they went to cross-reference when trying to find the tags of this car. So using that technology, they captured Deidre's license plate on the morning of the murder. And she is only about a mile away from Lonnie's house. So then they're like, you know what? Let's just see what happens if we run Lonnie plate too. Lonnie's plates are coming up in the same areas that Deidre was at with her rental with the stolen plates. They catch Lonnie at the intersection of Liberty and Marysville at 6.55 a.m., and then seconds later, they catch her tan Chevy Malibu with the stolen plates coming up right behind him. 
So they're like, we can't say for sure who's driving the car, but we got a pretty strong feeling that it's Deidre. Now they're like, we can't see for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure who's in the car, but we know it's a black female who appears to be short and that description fits Deidre, who the car was rented out to. So she is instantly moved to the top of the suspect list. And the police are like, you know what? Let's pull her phone records, see where she been at. So the day of the murder, her cell phone pings off of the tower in Maryland, which not quite adding up because sis, you told us that your interview was on the 17th and you went straight back to Michigan the next day, which is the 18th. And Lonnie was murdered on the 19th. So did you forget your phone? Upon looking at these phone records, they see that she's made a lot of calls and a few texts to this man in Michigan named Martin Hodder. So the police is like, yo, Martin, let me talk to you for a second. They pick him up. They like, we just going to ask you a couple questions. What you know about Deidre? He was like, oh, you know, me and Deidre cool or whatever. Uh, she came to Michigan and she was like, I need a favor. Sis told me that she had a job interview in Chicago and she needed to rent a car, but her credit cards were maxed out. She couldn't put nothing on it. So, you know, she asked me to do her a solid, rent the car for her, and she would just pay me back in cash when she got back from Chicago. And, you know, I ain't no sweat off me. I look out for her. I do it. So I rented the car from a car company in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and... Matter of fact, I sent her this picture like, hey, here go the car. It's right here. And I put the seat, I put the keys under the mat in the back seat. And it was like, uh, you said you took pictures of it. Let me see them pictures, Martin. What type of car? What type of car did you say you rented her? He was like, oh, it was just a tan Chevy Malibu. So it was rental car number one's license plates on the back of rental car number two. Girl, you thought a little switchy switch would have made you get away she with this. Thought, she thought. They're like, let's let's see what else these phone records tell us. Let's see what else DJ been up to. And so they find that she has also called this place called Easy Storage in Baltimore. And it's not far from Lonnie's house. They look more into this storage unit and they find out that DJ has a unit there in her own name. And they said that the storage unit was accessed on June 16th and on June 18th. They get the surveillance video from her specific unit on the day of the murder. And what do they see but a tan Chevy Malibu sitting in a storage facility. So if you look at the camera, the camera quality is shitty. It is it is old-time security camera. You're not going to get a clear face on here, right? But what we can see is that somebody walked over to the trunk, pulled out a license plate, and started switching that shit. Now, again, we can neither confirm or deny that this was Deidre, for sure, 100%, without a doubt. But the gut is saying yes, right? So, mm -hmm. if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck. So, the police are like, you know, this storage unit is probably where she hid the stolen tags from the Jeep Cherokee so that she didn't have to take the tags back to Michigan. We're now at July 10th of 2015, and the police are confident that they have enough evidence to arrest Deidre. So the Baltimore detectives fly to Michigan, and they decide that they're going to pay Deidre one more visit. Now, this nosy-ass sister, ex-sister-in-law was here yet again, and she was like, oh, yeah, she saw the policeman show up with a shotgun, and Deidre ain't even had time to think or scheme or nothing. They just came in and was like, listen... She said, I looked out the window and I said, oh, it's the police. And by the time I thought that, they were coming through the front door. 
Now, when Deidre was arrested, her son was only 11 months old. And Deidre was arrested for the murder of Lonnie and a search warrant was executed on her house. During the search, they find a 9mm handgun, which of course is the same type of gun that Lonnie was murdered with. So they feel like they really have a win right here. They also find empty boxes of 9mm federal brand ammunition and paper targets from a local gun range. You know, when you like shoot at the paper targets, headshots, chest shots, all those things. Mm-hmm. I'll take you to the gun range, friend. Um, <laughs> so they're like, okay, this is very interesting when they find it. And they go to the gun range and they ask like the people at the gun range if they've ever met Deidre. And they're like, you know, I don't I don't really remember face names, but I'd remember a face. And they were like, oh, I absolutely remember her because we were helping her learn how to shoot a gun. Like she didn't know what she was doing. So we was giving her like a whole gun safety training course in here. He was like, look, we even got a picture of her at the gun range. There is a picture of her at the gun range just smiling with her gun. She was and happy I get with it. Like, shots. I've been at the gun range. <laughs> I was at the, I listen, I was at the gun range smiling with my gun and my little shot paper too, but like, ah, it messes you up. And they were like, yep, that sure was her. And they were like, how many times did she come? They were like, oh, she came for practice quite a few times. The last time she came, she was making sure that she was really staying up on her practice. They checked the dates. The police checked the dates of when she came to the gun range. And they found that the week of Lonnie's murder, Deidre was at that gun range twice to make sure that her shot was right. But anyways, this ex-sister-in-law, her brother's ex-wife, tells the investigators like, I know she did it. I know it in my heart. She was like, I didn't see her do it. I don't know. I didn't see her do it. I don't have any proof. But in my heart, in my gut, I know that she did it. And just look at the circumstances. Look at the circumstances. They all point to her. Anne tells the police that the day that Deidre was supposed to drop her son off with Lonnie, she was like, I just knew it was weird. You know, when you have the kids and you have to pack up an 11-month-year-old, you got to pack up a lot of stuff. You got to pack up the boppy. You got, boppies are for baby babies. You got to pack up the pack and play. No, the pack and plays are usually stationary. What do you, you got to pack up the little walker thing. You got to pack some diapers. You got to pack some clothes. You have to pack the baby bag. And she barely packed a baby bag and she definitely didn't pack the things that a baby would need to spend five days away from her with his father. And she was like, it was just something so weird about it. And she went to go meet him, but I just knew, I just knew something was wrong. Deidre was taken into custody at the Bay County Law Enforcement Center where she was given a taped interview with Detective Massey from the Baltimore Police Department. Detective Massey, you know, had already been talking to Deidre beforehand and started off by telling Deidre that they were really having a hard time verifying a few parts of her alibi. They said that she was like very stoic. She was just kind of like, yeah, okay, you're having a hard time. Um, What's going on? Not giving anything away. Really big poker face. They kept laying out the evidence they had and Deidre was slowly realizing that quite a bit of evidence. So she was just like, you know what? Can I get a lawyer, please? After that, of course, the interview was terminated, but she was already arrested. And Deidre was shocked. She was in there like, I can't believe, I can't believe they put it all together. And they actually had enough to arrest her. Of course, she's not saying like I did it, but they can't just arrest you because they want to. They have to have some type of evidence against you 
to justify the arrest. And they at least had enough evidence to justify the arrest. And she was shocked by it. Deidre was in the county jail for 11 months while she waited to... Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial. So the 11 months passed and they were in the Maryland court and Deidre's trial began. Now, the prosecutors say that Deidre and Lonnie did have a four-year relationship together, and the two of them did briefly live together in his home in Baltimore. They continue that it's clear that Deidre was in Baltimore and followed Lonnie around and then sat in the house waiting for over two hours for him to come back just so that she could end his life. He stood no chance against her. The prosecution was like, listen, Deidre just wants to control the relationship and to control Lonnie and to control his access to the son. And she was upset that the judge ordered Lonnie days to see his son, you know? She had made it up in her mind that in order to be in her son's life, he had to be in her life too. And for the judge to go against that, that meant nothing to her. If she had to deal with herself, she was going to. The prosecution continues that Deidre's acts to cover up Lonnie's murder were very detailed and it's giving premeditated, right? Even her friend Martin testified against her and he was like, listen, as I told y'all in the initial interview, up his she asked me for a rental car. I set her up with a rental car. She sent me this text. It read, but she had the car well, I mean, in maybe storage. Not. She said he's going to give me She the had the car in storage. She didn't return the car. Regardless. It's on his credit card. So the text reads, Martin, thanks for your help. I need a mid-sized car from Wednesday 6-17 to Sunday 6-21. Let me know the cost and I can deposit the funds in your bank account or drop you a check in the mail later. Touch base after you get more details. Tell Sharon I said hey. Now, Martin testifies that on June 16th in Ann Arbor, Michigan, that he did rent the car. And Deidre was like, yeah, sorry, I can't pick it up till later. So that's when he drove it to a nearby lot, left it unlocked with the keys under the mat, and sent her the picture telling her where the car was at. He did identify the car to be the tan Chevy Malibu. Enterprise Records corroborated that story. And on top of that, if you look at Enterprise Records, they say the car was not even returned until the wee hours of June 22nd. So they did get it back, but it was late because she said the 21st. Now, Deidre's defense attorney, Mr. Tyler Mann, pointed out that none of Deidre's DNA was found at the crime scene or Lonnie's house on the day of the murder. In fact, according to evidence, no DNA belonging to Deidre was there. And in addition to there being no DNA, there's no witnesses. The defense is like, listen, you found a gun at Deidre's house, but when you tested sure that gun, didn't. did it tell you mm-hmm. that that was the gun that shot Lonnie? No. It did it? So she now you don't even have a fighting. weapon? Cool, cool. And she had a couple of points. The shell casings that you found, did they come from this gun? No? No, they didn't? So what are we really working with, you know? Y'all trying to say that Deidre wanted control? She went to court. They resolved the custody issues. Your case is circumstantial. You have no proof that she killed Lonnie. The custody battle is over. People have moved on, and I suggest you do too. So, you know, both cases are presenting a pretty strong argument. But on June 10th of 2016, the jury finds Deidre guilty of first-degree premeditated murder and the use of a handgun and the commission of a crime of violence. Yeah, girl, you put up a good fight, but almost doesn't count. On September 22nd, 2016, the judge sentenced Deidre to life in prison with the possibility of parole— plus 10 years to be served concurrently 
and five years probation if she ever gets to see the light of day again. Just like in her interview, Deidre was calm, cool, collected, very stoic, didn't show much emotion. She didn't cry. She didn't say a word. She just took her fate. Of course, with all of this, Deidre decided to file an appeal. She asked the courts for an appeal in hopes that they would review four main issues that she thinks affected the jury and ultimately caused her conviction. She asked them to review, number one, whether the trial court erred in admitting evidence that Deidre owned a 9mm, even though the weapon wasn't used in a crime. We shouldn't even brought up the weapon that you found because it wasn't the crime weapon. Number two, whether the trial court abused its discretion in the manner which it responded to a juror's question about Deidre getting the death penalty or not. Why are you even bringing up the death penalty to a juror before all the evidence is laid out? That wasn't right. Number three, whether the trial court impermissibly shifted the burden of determining bias to the juries by the phrasing of certain questions. And number four, whether the trial court abused its discretion in denying Deidre's Batson claim. What is the Batson claim? The Batson claim is where either the defense or prosecution accuses the other of excluding a potential juror based on race, ethnicity, or sex. So she's basically saying that people were left off this jury that could have been a jury of her peers because of either race, sex, or ethnicity. The court affirmed the judgment made by the Baltimore County Circuit Court, and her appeal was denied. Currently, Deidre is incarcerated at the Maryland Correctional Institute for Women. She will be eligible for parole in about 20 years. Deidre and Lonnie's son is being raised by his grandmother in Michigan. And that is the story of Deidre and Lonnie. All right, y'all, it's time for... Well, I'm not black. I'm OJ. I didn't do it, but if I did, this is how I would have got away with it. I feel like I've been, I got really hyped up and I have said mine throughout this entire episode. So I didn't do it, but if I did, I mean, you ain't got to like the baby daddy for him to be a baby daddy. You don't have to like him. You laid with him, you opened your legs, you have, you have a child by him, you guys have birthed the baby. So even, and, and just saying that, oh, I'm going to put him on child support and he's not allowed. You can't tell nobody they're not allowed to see their child unless there's a, they're in danger, then do what you got to do. But just because he decided at one point he didn't claim it, he came back and decides to be a real nigga, like you can't be mad at him. He figured it out. That's what happens when you deal with niggas. <laughs> right. Let these niggas raise their kids. Y'all love to call somebody a deadbeat dad and oh, you wasn't there for your son and then a nigga trying to be there for his son and it's, ah, but what about me? No. What about your kid? That's all that really matters. I'm a, I said it once, I'm going to say it again. People are allowed to not want you. But if that man decides that he's going to do the right thing and be there for his kid, it is not your place to be the wall in between them. I ain't do it, but if I did, Deidre, if you know his schedule, why are you following him around town? Why are you stalking this nigga in the streets and they got security footage? I ain't do it, but if I did, I why are we making daddy. phone calls? Because I want my baby in, daddy. In if we're not supposed to be in Michigan... Because I want him. I do, but I did. Why are we fighting for a nigga who don't want us? And because I can't have him, I'm pissed. I want my baby daddy. You know, if it ain't mutual, it ain't what you want. It just, I just want everybody to value themselves more. 
If that nigga want to be free, let him go. And all, each and every free. one of you deserve better. You just let him go. That's my song. I'm going to play that after we done. Feeling you close to me. Um, what else? What else? What else? What else? What else? I didn't do it, but if I did, I'm a little crazy. So when he first said that he didn't want to have the kid, I would have crisscrossed applesauce my arms and my legs and sat down and told that nigga he couldn't kick me out or this baby out. But see, I'm a little crazy. I have rights. Um, parole or no parole? I'm going to say no. You planned real hard. You did all of this. You did all of this so that you could have your baby to yourself and like, look, neither one of y'all got him. I think she can get out in 20 more years. Like, she's going to serve a really long sentence. But really, the codependency, the stalking, like, you got to be able to chill, girl. You got to be able to chill and learn when enough is enough. And she's one of those people, like, she was alone her entire life. She wasn't really in social circles. She wasn't really in a lot of relationships. And so that time that you feel love, like, you really don't know what to do with it. And so you just be acting crazy about it. And sometimes, like, you can't just be acting crazy about the love. And you don't know to not act crazy about the love because you ain't never been in love like that before. Her parents are together, so maybe she's, like, over-romanticizing what love is because you your parents give you this image of what it is. And most parents try not to show you what the hard sides of love are. So you think you're over-romanticizing what love is. And when they're not meeting those standards that you have made up in your mind, you're pissed at them. Because I just want to be loved. I just want to be loved. I don't want no quickie. All right, that's it. Let's read some reviews. That's so funny. The first review that I see is from a girl that I was best friends with in middle school on our Facebook page. She gave us five... Well, you know I moved around. You know I moved around, so... <laughs> and I wasn't able to keep up phone. So, hey, girl. Hey, Carmen. It says, I love listening to Sister Sue Kill podcast on my way to work. I enjoy how they fully paint the pictures of these cases and really humanize the murderesses. I know sometimes when I am watching true crimes, my first thought is, these people are nuts. But they really find a way to give the history of all the players involved and really help you understand how trauma and mental health makes cases all too common. Thanks, girl. Thank you. Hopelessly devoted to you. Go ahead. This one says, hopeless in love with this ho- with this podcast. I'm so mad. I- <laughs> I'm so mad that I just found out about this podcast. I'm an avid true crime listener, and you start to hear the same cases over and over. This podcast literally feels like I'm listening to two of my favorite cousins tell me about a new case and our language. Thank you so much. Keep up we the great work, We appreciate you so much. And if you want to keep up with Sisters Who Kill, you can. You can do it in a multitude of ways. You can. Follow us on Twitter, Sisters Who Kill. Follow us on Instagram, Sisters Who Kill Pod. TikTok, Sisters Who Kill Podcast. Public discussion group, Sisters Who Kill. Private discussion group, Sisters Who Kill discussion group. Got to answer the questions to get in. Do you have anything else for them, friend? Somebody left us a, a review, and it says five stars for sure, but the review is only four stars. Make it make sense. Go fix your mistake. All right, that's it, though. Talk to us. We talk it. Bye.